Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudia Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the Dean and Founder of Directions University and the co-founder of both TheLeveragists.com and Divisio.com, the all-new affiliate network for folks who are doing good in the world. We have my co-host, the Associate Dean of Directions University and my all-around partner in crime, Jack Humphrey, joining us today. Hello, Jack. Howdy. It's uh, nice and warm up here in the Midwest. Sounds like everybody's a little bit hot. Actually, it's nice and cool down here. It's like in the low 80s for a change instead of the mid-90s. It's a real nice change of pace today. You know, I'm getting real tired of Florida. Every time I think I've got it beat, it's either cool and, and nice, or it's really warm and nice in the summer, I mean in the winter, and I just can't beat Florida. I can't do it. Isn't that awesome? I give up. Now you understand why I live here. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to rain on you today, so there. <laughs> it hasn't rained in two whole days. Oh, good Lord. So okay. maybe, Calling maybe. from paradise, one more your graves. <laughs> there you go. Well, as well, a follow-up we last Bell. week, Before we do Mm -hmm, that, last week we had Anna and Sherry, the founders of the Wellness Universe, and today we have Meredith Bell, who is also a part of the Wellness Universe. So I'm going to let you take it from there, Jack. Well, we threatened last week to have lots and lots of the uh, awesome people at um, Wellness Universe coming through, so we're making good on that promise. And today we have Meredith Bell who's been an entrepreneur since 1982. She's an expert at helping companies develop the people side of their business. Her software company's tools are used by consultants, coaches, and human resource professionals to help managers become more effective leaders. Many of the clients Meredith's company have used their products for over 20 years. And uh, Meredith, thanks so much. We talked not too long ago, but thanks. It's finally here. You're on the show. I'm delighted to be here with you both. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, we start every single week with one question, one important question. What is the main thing that gets you out of bed in the morning these days? What are you the most excited about with your business? Well, you know, our business has always been about helping others become more effective at work and, you know, in their lives in general. And so, Honestly, it has kept me getting up for the last 30 years, and it still does. I have that passion to make a difference in the lives of other people so that, you know, they live happier, more fulfilling lives. The older I get, the more I realize how short life is. And, um, you know, we have a limited time here, and so I want to help people have good relationships and just be more effective both at work and at home. Well, that doesn't sound an awful lot like what I I had in your intro. Can you bridge those two things together a little bit? Tell us a bit of a story about how all that works in your world. Well, our software um, is used by companies or by consultants to assess people and then help them with their development so they become better communicators mm. on the job, um, and they learn to handle you know, tough situations with, you know, strengths like composure, um, courage, um, self-confidence. So we help leaders and actually, you know, indirectly a lot of other folks who work with those leaders, you know, become more effective at interacting with others. So that's really what we're all about is helping people become more effective. You've had the perspective that um, not so many people have had in in society. (laughs) I mean, everybody uh, who's lived during a certain period has watched the Internet grow up, in a sense, from a 
mainly consumer perspective, but you certainly would fall in that rare category of somebody who's watched it grow up from its inception to now in business. And I wonder what that looks like to you when you look back. And, uh, you know, of course, when your company started, it, uh, you know, Internet was just barely Internet. And it wasn't anything like what we would call today what kids these days think the Internet is. So as right. far as business and how you've done business over the years, can you take us through a quick progression there, what it, what it was like starting out? And, uh, and, and so maybe people can start to appreciate a little bit more of what we've got today. As, as opposed to just all the challenges we have today. Right. That's such a good uh, question. Yes. Um, actually, when I first started my business, I was a solopreneur, um, you know, looking to uh, tap into the local market. And so I, uh, the Internet didn't exist at all back in 1982. And so I relied on, you know, approaching people, you know, by phone or mail to um, speak to their groups. And so that's really what I used initially. And then when I uh, merged my business with my two business partners, and we've worked together now for 25 years, and we transitioned over from being a consulting firm to being a software company, we decided that holding showcase seminars in different cities was an important way to reach out to potential um, users of our product, and we used fax back then. I know some people still do use it, but it seems like it's kind of falling by the wayside. But this was, you know, the physical fax machines, not electronic faxes that we see today. And we used to just do, you know, individual hand-done faxes inviting people to these webinars along with direct mail. So. That's a key thing that we did way back then. And, of course, today, as we've transitioned over into online, there are so many other um, methods available to us through social media to reach out and meet people and interact through there. And, of course, it still comes down to having either phone or you know Skype or person-to-person -person conversations. Um, in order to do business, but I would say the ways of reaching people has expanded dramatically, and the the accessibility of you know information about the people you want to meet. I just love LinkedIn. I use it all the time to do research on specific individuals that I want to be able to connect with because their profiles tell me so much about them that previously was not available. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, the amount of leverage that you've expanded into over the years from where you started, I mean, I, I don't even know how you might calculate the, the difference in the leverage between LinkedIn today and the, and the platform that you use primarily for meeting the people that you need to connect with and knowing everything you need to know about them, and then back in the day when you're faxing people. I mean, it might yeah. be a useless calculation because the numbers just would be so un unbelievable that you – Nobody would believe it anyway. <laughs> but what an amazing well, exactly. difference. And, of course, now there are all kinds of tools, you know, the um, contact management systems that allow you to send, you know, batch emails to hundreds or thousands of people at one time. But prior to that, it was very expensive to either fax or do direct mail to, you know, numbers like that. But, you know, I was thinking about the different aspects of leverage and what we've used over the years. And one of the things that we did um, back when we became a software company and we started looking at what business model would serve us best for getting the word out about this product, um, we actually met, or I met, this fellow who was extremely well-connected to all kinds of consultants. Um, he was one of these people that you just dream about, you know, a master salesperson who loved getting on the phone and contacting people. And he, in that first year of our, after I had met him, he introduced us to, I'd say, dozens and dozens of people who became resellers for us, consultants who already were, you know, doing the kind of work with leadership development and were using other kinds of tools, but they were looking for software like what we had. And 
that leveraging of that one relationship was huge because he helped us meet people, you know, that at that time we couldn't have met any other way. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, and it's just one person meeting the one right kind of person who's really connected in. You know, he'd, he'd be kind of like the hub and a wheel, right, with all the spokes yeah. being his connections. And, uh, and yeah, it does a business good to meet hubs and be friends with hubs. Gina is one of those. She uh, never goes a day without telling somebody, you know who you ought to talk to. I mean, that's her thing. That's her biggest phrase probably of all time that I've ever heard her say is, you know who you ought to talk to? And she just connects people. Hubs are really, really good connectors and huge leverage. So mm-hmm. uh, really cool to run into those. I mean, you've probably turned yourself into quite the hub as well. I mean, couldn't you point people in a lot of different directions based on you know, the things that you know in your industry and the people that you've met and the systems that you've created or know about and use? Oh, yes, and I do that all the time, and you know what I have found out is I love doing that. So, Gina, you know, we're kindred spirits there um, in terms of uh, loving to put people together. And one of the nice things is, you know, when you do it with the right spirit, and by the way, I love that chapter in your your e-book, if I can give a plug for that, your Leverage Black Book. I think it's excellent. Uh, But the whole idea of, you know, being passionate about serving others and, um, you know, not looking at what can I get from this, but what can I give, and just sort of trusting the universe to, you know, bring everything full circle without having to try to manipulate or, you know, force things to go a particular way. So I do love that kind of connecting. And, you know, I I have a relevant story I'd love to tell you about related to that, and it's about somebody you all have written about, Joe Polish. Absolutely. can I share that with you? We love Joe, yeah, to go shoot. Oh, yes. Well, I I first met Joe years ago at a GKIC event, the Glazer Kennedy Inner Circle. It now goes by just mm-hmm. GKIC. And he did a remarkable thing. He gave this presentation with about, I don't know, 900 or 1,000 people in the audience, and at least half of them got up to buy his product at the end of his talk. So... I had written an article soon after that that I put on my blog, and then recently I leveraged that article and repurposed it on LinkedIn because I figured, you know, nobody had seen that in years, and yet it had some really important points about him as a speaker and what he did to elicit that kind of reaction. So after I published that on LinkedIn, I promoted it on my social media accounts, and Joe and I are friends on Facebook. So I had tagged him, and he saw it and thanked me and shared it. And then I private messaged him on Facebook, and I said, hey, we need to connect connect on LinkedIn so I can tag you there too. And he wrote back and said, oh, you know, I need to make better use of LinkedIn. Um, I'm really not on there very much. And uh, I said, I wrote him back, and I said, well, I'll be happy to talk to you about it sometime because I've been learning some really cool things. So he said, yes, let's do talk. And I got to thinking about um, the fellow I've learned so much from in recent months, John Nemo, who has um, just a fabulous course um, called LinkedIn Riches, and he has a book too. And I had told Joe I would talk to John about maybe redoing his profile because he's done that for some other folks like Chris Brogan and John Lee Dumas. So John said, hey, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I um, messaged Joe back, and we talked just last week. Um, He had just a few free minutes, and we got on the phone, and I was explaining to him what John could do, and he said, oh, that's fabulous. It's a matter of when, not if, because he's in the middle of hiring some people now. But um, he just was so appreciative of me looking out for him and trying to match him up with someone that could help him really get up to speed with LinkedIn. So, And I also told him that I thought LinkedIn was really an important place for him to be because Joe has a very expensive um, kind of a mixture mastermind coaching group called the 25K group where people pay $25,000 to go meet in groups 
um, at his location three or four times a year. And he said, you know, you're right. I do need to do to be there more because that is where some of my best prospects are. So he's going to be um, getting his profile made over here in the not-too-distant future. But one of the things I had done in the article that, um, again, you mentioned in the ebook that I thought was so great was to include links to other experts you know, when you write articles. And so what I did in the article about Joe is I had a link to his website and to both of his podcasts, ilovemarketing.com with Dean Jackson and 10xtalk.com with um, Dan Sullivan. So he just is one of these guys that is always out there giving to others. So when someone else does that for him, he really makes a note and appreciates it. And... Um, I just love doing things for somebody like that. So that's a way that I was able to do some connecting with him and John Nemo that I think has some exciting potential down the road for both of them. So Joe's not a really easy person to get a hold of. He's a very busy, um, as anybody who follows him knows and would assume. Um, but it really didn't – busy people are the people we're supposed to be talking to if we want to make big inroads right i mean we don't yes if somebody is readily available they're probably not busy enough and doing the kind of things we need them to be doing to be what we called earlier a hub or somebody who could help connect us to other people that we need to get connected with so you know uh, it didn't slow you down and that's what makes you for some reason an extremely rare bird because <laughs> you didn't let any of that bother you and you went and you served and you know, um, and you did the right thing. You didn't knock on his door, so to speak, with your hand out saying, I need something from you. You, were, you came bearing gifts, which I think a lot of people are starting to understand is the way to network now. Um, and Joe always says, I don't go anywhere to ask anybody for anything if I don't bring something to the table myself. That's almost a direct quote um, from one of his uh, podcasts, and I think he says that all the time as well. Uh, I've heard it in a few different places, but he's always packing something for somebody. He's always looking for ways to do something for somebody. And so you, 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 you used his tactic on himself, on him, <laughs> and it worked. Well, and you, know and you so weren't funny. daunted just, by the idea that he would be too busy or you're not big enough to talk to him or any of those things. You just, you know, that's how it really actually works. Well, there's another piece to it that I just remembered as you were talking, and that is for years since I first, you know, heard him speak, ever since he and Dean started ilovemarketing.com and then after he started the 10X Talk, I listen to both of those faithfully, and I regularly promote those and tag him on Twitter and Facebook because that's where we were connected at the time. And every single time I did that, he thanked me. So, you know, I just – when I see something, read, or, or hear something that I think is valuable, I want to get it out to other people. I know only a small percentage of them will actually, you know, click the link and listen, but I still feel this um, responsibility, really, to when I hear or learn something valuable, I want to let other people know about it. And so it wasn't like all of a sudden I wrote this article out of the blue and then he heard from me. He's been seeing me. He knows me because I've been promoting things really for years. So, you know, sometimes you're just setting the stage for some possibility in the future that you can't even envision. And um, what had happened was um, on Facebook when we had been exchanging messages, and he, and he even apologized. He said, I'm so sorry I haven't been able to talk to you yet. And then... Um, messaged me about could we talk over the weekend and I said I'm going to have plans and he said well, what are you doing right now are you available now <laughs> so he called <laughs> me right then so you know it goes back to what you all say about finding out what that key person really needs and then if you have that expertise or can deliver it to them they will be all ears because it's something they need right then and that's exactly what happened it was just you know, the perfect timing for something that he needs, and he saw that I might be able to help him get that. Well, there are a couple of key points there. So, 
you were around before anything happened. You were around, you were promoting his stuff, you were letting people know just in case they didn't already know about his stuff and and things that he had said. You've been following him so you know what was really on his mind at any given moment. These things don't happen instantly, as you indicated. They, you're building that foundation just by interacting with people. One of the things that really kills leverage is being so insular and being so in your own world, I call it your bubble, um, and I call leverage the, the, the needle that pops bubbles all the time, and that's our job here is to pop bubbles. Because you start thinking the world you see on a daily basis is the world, and it is so not. It's so not, right? It's just mm-hmm. the stuff that you do and the people you interact with on a regular basis are whatever your current bubble is. And you have to be outside that. You have to completely always try to pop those bubbles and and get you know mixed in with other people. The, the, the thing is, leverage happens on its own. It really wants to happen. It's like information wants to be free. Leverage wants to be used. And it finds ways to insert itself into situations that you have cultivated in your business and even in your life. And and the the way that you cultivate that is exactly how you just described it. You hang out with the right people virtually, uh, in person, but virtually on the web. You, You follow them. When something needs to be said, when an opportunity arises, you're only going to be in the right place at the right time if you've already been there and have saw the signs leaning up to it, to that moment where, in your case, Joe needed something, and you were right there. You saw it because you were there. A lot of people get in their own bubbles, and they're never, they never have the opportunity to see something like that. They're like, I've got to market my product, and I've got to grow my business, and I'm busy doing that. And a leveragist would say, no, you're not. You're busy not doing that. You're busy actually hurting yourself because you're not out in those conversations. And just the best way to be out in those conversations and have those conversations is to put no pressure on yourself whatsoever because you just go out and serve. You just give things to people. The, the web was made – I mean, what makes the web is links, Right. And so when you said earlier that you were, you know, you just, you just link to whatever that you think is going to help people, uh, somebody who's in their bubble thinks, no, I can't link away from my site because I'll lose somebody. I'll lose traffic. And I need that traffic to convert. And I need to trap them here until the only choice they have is to actually close their browser or buy. <laughs> and that's that kind of like – you could probably say it better. It's kind of like a paralytic. It just paralyzes people, and, and it just freezes up their businesses because you can't think like that. That's the AOLization of the Internet where you try to trap people in. You can't link out. But if you can't link out, you can't be of service, and if you can't be of service, you can't grow as a business. Flat out, that's my statement for the day. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Well, you know, um, your saying all that made me realize um, a quote that may be of value to your listeners that I want to share with you. It, um, I read a lot, and one of my favorite authors is Steve Chandler. And um, one of his first books that I read was called The Prosperous Coach, and he co-authored that with Rich Litvin. And for, even for the people in your audience that are not themselves coaches or consultants, that book is a powerful read because it, it really is all about how to serve other people powerfully, and whether or not you know they choose to do business with you. But my favorite quote from there is something that I actually you know, run through my head before any conversation that I have or any podcast I might be a guest on, and it's this. How can I serve this person so powerfully that they never forget our conversation for the rest of their life? Now, if you truly ask and absorb that question, there's no way that you're focused on yourself and your products. Um, because what you're really doing, in at least in these initial conversations that you have, is you're trying to think about, you know, what am I hearing this person say? You are needing to ask questions to learn more about them and, you know, what they might be struggling with at the moment or who they might be looking for. So it's all focused on them and not trying to make an impression. 
And I'll tell you, that is that was really transformational for me in terms of conversations that I had because when you truly have that attitude, you are not concerned about yourself. Your focus is on that person. So guess what? I'm more relaxed. You know, I can have fun. I can really enjoy learning about that person, which I like to do anyway. But I'm not feeling stressed about, oh, when can I find the right moment to bring up my product? You know, it's just not in the mindset of having that um, conversation. And what inevitably happens after I've spent, let's just say I'm having an hour-long conversation with somebody, I'll spend the first, you know, 45 minutes oftentimes just asking questions, learning, you know, giving insights or um, offering to connect them with some resource or person. And then it'll get around to them saying, well, now, Tell me something about you. You know, what are you up to and, and how can I help you? Because I focused on helping them initially. And if people can really integrate that into their own thinking, it, it really is transformational. It's not really one-dimensional, though. It's got a lot of dimensions and facets to it. One thing I think that people might assume is that this works for everyone, meaning that everyone you approach and do some heroic service with is going to feel the need to reciprocate. And that's not true. Some people are buttheads. That's a technical term for butthead. And, <laughs> and they just use. There's a lot of users out there. So mm-hmm. if anybody listening has had the experience where you've gone and really, you know, you wanted to make that indelible mark on someone's mind that they would never, ever forget for the rest of their life what you said or did or, or whatever, and it backfired on you, and it just never really materialized, those things happen, right, Meredith? I mean, that's not – you don't have a 100% track record with, with this, right? You've, you've run into some people who have taken what you've given and run. Is that that's true? That's right. That is absolutely and, true. And so, um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say is, is uh, you, you know, that just comes – with everything, like if you're doing sales, they're like, you got to be able to listen to 99 no's before you get a yes. I don't think it's that way this way because you can pick the people you think are the best to serve, and it's really through inspiration, right? When going back to Joe, you pretty much knew that if you could help him out in some way, he was the kind of person because you already knew, you already did your homework, you'd been friends with him for a while, you liked him, like him, and you had, you were like, all right, this is a pretty sure bet. And so you do that kind of due diligence. We don't just – I don't want anybody to think we just get on the phone with any old person, right? You, you know who That's you're – you typically point. know who you're getting on the phone with. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, I think that's a good point. Uh, going back to, you know, looking at who's your ideal client, who is your target market, and then um, my point really is uh, with that quote is, not to focus, as you said earlier, on, you know, getting quickly to talking about your product because you really don't know enough about the person. And I know from personal experience, it really is a turnoff if somebody starts jumping in and and saying, oh, I know this could be, uh, you know, the right fit for you. Um, It's like, well, how could you possibly know that? (laughs) So it's, it's... it's all about building relationships. And, oh, I've got another story just to tell you of how something that was kind of years in the making turned into something, you know, pretty substantial. And this was with um, GKIC, the organization. Go for it. Okay. So some of your listeners may be familiar with them. Um, it was originally co-founded or founded by Dan Kennedy and then Bill Glazer, um, took over um, the company and was president. And so the two of them were really, you know, featured in their live events, which they hold twice a year, as well as in their newsletters. And they have an offshoot called the Information Marketing Association for people who sell information products. Well, um, when I first started going to the conferences, I just made a point of going up to Bill every now and then and just finding something to thank him about or compliment him about related to the event because I have put on events myself and I know what hard work it is and I know how people will often come up and complain about this and that. And 
he just always appreciated the positive feedback. I wasn't trying to brown nose him or anything. I simply genuinely wanted to let him know I appreciated it. And one of the times I had written a note to him, uh, you know, and his team thanking him for the event and all the things I had liked from it. Well, do you know in the next newsletter, they devoted a whole page to that thank you note. Wow. It shocked the heck out of me. I'm sure he's gotten lots of thank you notes, but there was something about yeah. it that touched him and uh, that felt, I guess, genuine, and he really appreciated it. Well, um, it was a little while after that, maybe even a year, that I was reading this um, one newsletter, and I got an idea. I thought, oh, my gosh, I know a lot about this particular point that Dan Kennedy made in this newsletter, and there was a monthly um, CD that they would produce um, and send out to all the members. And I contacted Robert Scrobe, who was the um, host of that monthly show, and Bill Glazer was the sort of like the co-host. But I contacted Robert and I said, I think I've got an idea that would be really beneficial for um, your listeners related to this topic. And he asked me just to, you know, draft uh, some things and send it to him, which I did. And he said, yeah, let's go for it. So we get on the call, and Bill says, as a way of introduction, Meredith is one of our favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can't pay somebody to say that about you to an audience. But it was, again, years in the making with just little things that I had done from a, a place of gratitude you know, and expressing appreciation. And that went so well. He just kept saying positive things about the um, the ideas that I was sharing that afterwards I wrote him, um, I faxed him because he still wanted faxes and said, you know, Bill, I wonder if this content would be of benefit at one of your events. And we set up a phone call, and he said, you know, I really like this. I think everybody needs to hear it, and I'm going to put you in a general session. So that fall, I spoke to 900 entrepreneurs, which came from me simply having my radar up as I read this newsletter and acted on it. So I think those are a couple of pieces that are important when people think about leveraging is keeping your radar tuned in to see, you know, where might I make a contribution that could be valuable, and then doing something about it, not just thinking it, but actually taking action and not being, you know, stopped by doubts or concerns or fears about being rejected. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the ideal way of dealing with that whole idea of rejection. You're your rejection ability, rejectability, <laughs> I'm always inventing new words, uh, it goes way, 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 way down as your, um, your interest in someone and your research in someone and you're genuinely following them. It, it, I don't want to encourage people to try to systematize this and think, oh, well, there's a system to this. There's not a system in as much as it's just being in, it's being a fish and being unaware of water. I mean, just be a fish. Just totally, totally be what you need to be in your market and serve your demographic and serve your peers. Really, the lever just works on, on a peer-to-peer level. Our peers are the people who, and, and people who are, are far advanced of us in time and years and size of their audience and things like that. Um, but we work on that level almost exclusively. We don't just work, you know, we work with people on the audience level when it comes time that they are actually our audience. And other than that, most of the rest of the time, we spend doing exactly what you're talking about. So I dub the Meredith the Leveragist, because that's exactly what you've always done. That's what you're doing and what you're describing here today for us is, is the way that a Leveragist thinks. And it's not really a system. It's not like, hey, today I'm a Leveragist because I, I learned the five points of leverage or any of that, and, and, or here I am talking to Meredith and I'm going to do the five points of leverage on her. There's no such thing as the five points of leverage. I just made that up. There's no system here. This is a really, really, really natural thing that some people were born with. I think most people are born with it, but I think some of the things that we learn in life along the way force us to suppress it. And 
you needed to let it out. It is okay to be in business and not be cutthroat and not be all those things, all those cliches, really, that we've heard about business, but be exactly the way you thought as a kid if somebody said, what's business? You know, and you gave your super honest answer from a kid's perspective, you know, and you would say all kinds of weird stuff like helping people. And what? That's not what anybody from Wall Street would say. But that's who we are. We're not Wall Street people. We're individuals with businesses who care about things and care about people and, 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 uh, and the natural world and everything in between. Which is all this stuff that makes us not really the textbook kind of entrepreneur. And what's neat about that is we shouldn't suppress it. We should let it loose because it makes us the kind of business people that Joe and Meredith are just naturally like. That's the way you guys operate. It just seems right to you. And for some reason, that programming that gets into most people when they think about business and entrepreneurship didn't touch you. Just for some reason, it rolled off your back, and that's why you're here today. And that's why you got to speak in front of 900 people. That's why you, know, you, you make those connections that other people are like, oh, she must be, she must be really connected in some way. There, she's got something that I don't have. And if I were to say that anybody, that Meredith has anything that you don't have, it's that she got rid of that programming. And she let loose the kind of person that anybody would be in business if they hadn't learned some really bad lessons that are really widespread, that most people learn, especially, I mean, the worst thing you could ever do is go get an MBA. Oh, my God, what a terrible, terrible, non-entrepreneurial thing to do, to take the heart and soul out of everything that you care about and just <laughs> step on it like a cockroach on the floor. Go get an MBA. Uh, or go pay attention to anybody in traditional dying. And you have to understand if you're in a bubble, you might not notice when something's dying. You might think it's thriving. But if you pop the bubble, go up about 3,000 feet and look down, you'll see that traditional business has been completely decimated and turned on its head in every way and all the way up to the multi-billion dollar companies and everywhere in between. So if you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, and you're acting in any way like business as usual back in the 90s or uh, in the 2000s, <laughs> you know, if you're doing any of that stuff, your bubble needs to be popped because that makes it really hard to see what Meredith is doing. It makes it like, well, I hear what she's saying, I hear what Jack's saying, but she must still have some kind of superpower that I don't have, and that's why it works for her and it wouldn't work for me, so I'm not even going to try. What would you just say to somebody like that? Meredith, in, in response to that? Well, first of all, I'm still a work in progress. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sharing yeah. with you some, you know, successes I've had. But, you know, the other side, there's a lot of things I've tried that haven't worked. But one of the things that has been revolutionary for my thinking is something I learned from both Steve Chandler and a fellow named Brian Johnson that um, is is and this is powerful. I mean, it is unbelievable for helping you avoid wallowing, wallowing around in pain and regret. And that is to think of everything you do as a scientist would, like it's an experiment. And so when a scientist, a real scientist who's, you know, testing a hypothesis, that person doesn't get devastated if the results come out differently than expected. It's just data. And so I try lots of things, and, you know, many of them don't work, but I've learned to just kind of let that roll off my back and say, okay, well, that didn't work, so let me try something different totally or, or, or modify it and, and uh, do it slightly differently going forward. I think that, um, though, in the past, I probably expended more energy doubting myself and then regretting, oh, I shouldn't have done this, and judging myself. You know, that self-criticism can mm -hmm. eat away at us. And so I think over the years I've just progressed. The un and, you know, it's one of those things I still have to catch myself every now and then. But I don't spend a lot of time on that. I really remind myself, okay, this is just data. Now what am I going to do with it? Am I going to try again because maybe it didn't work so well or do I need to just uh, do something totally different? And that can apply with, you know, let's just say on LinkedIn, who I, you know, request to connect to and, you know, the number of or the percentage who respond from one particular kind of either industry or position versus something else. So who do I most 
easily resonate with who is most important for me to really um, form a strong relationship with because that's going to be beneficial to both of us down the road. It's all testing. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's the key thing to help someone relax and maybe not put so much pressure on themselves about finding the one right way to do things because there isn't one. Yeah. And just get going, right? Just go and not be afraid. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, Don't second-guess yourself. Don't project, you know, what you think the outcome could be. Just go for it because so what if they mm-hmm. say no? Then you can learn something from that because the fact is, you know, I've gotten a ton of no's over the years, and it's okay because the reality is that what you have as the solution, if you are, you know, presenting it at some point to somebody, it, there, there, it could be the time is not right. I think being persistent, following up, continuing to give um, material resources, connections that will be of value to that person, whether or not they ever do business with you, they will remember that thoughtfulness. You know, to me, the key word is kindness. You know, to be kind to others so that, you know, the um, – the the impression they're left with or the feeling they have about you is one of, you know, that's somebody I want to remember, I might want to do business with someday. Um, that and, and that is what I've tried to do and why we have some resellers and clients that have worked with us for more than 20 years now because we've demonstrated that in the way that we, you know, serve them initially and continue to serve them through our either tech support or additional products that they buy from us, is we want them to have an excellent experience so that they feel good about what they've done. Because here's the truth. Most businesses don't give that kind of attention to their customers, and, you know, it's it's sometimes hard to do business with some places. And you will stand out if you look for ways that you can be exceptional and help them have an exceptional experience when they're interacting with you. Nice. It seems simple, doesn't it? I don't know why more people aren't uh, experiencing what you experience. Um, You know, I think it's one of the things that you just mentioned is kind of a paralysis by analysis, mainly Mm -hmm. playing out in your head the way you think something's going to go and then having that be unsatisfactory and go, well, now I'm glad I didn't even try. You know, like you can justify it in your mind not going that next step or not taking a step in a different direction towards someone or something that you really think would would work. If you play it out in your head, nobody gets hurt, right? And you feel like you made a really good simulation in your head. You probably even feel like you were being really honest and objective, when in fact it was probably not that case at all. <laughs> it was you talking like we all do at times, talking yourself out of something before you even give it a chance. Um, you know, and that's that's like maybe being a little bit unsure. Could you talk a little bit about your experience with uh, being that fish in water, just being like in a zone, on a mission, going very solidly with a lot of momentum in a certain direction where you don't ever have really that time to second-guess yourself because you're just on a mission. And, and maybe I- I- any story that you have about somebody just kind of getting swept up uh, in your vortex of energy to, around your, your mission and what you want to do so that they're all ears. They just can't stop listening to you because you're so excited and you're so fish in the water. That, doesn't that help you as well when you're, when you're making new connections? Absolutely. And when you were asking that question, I immediately thought of this fellow that um, is an alumnus of William and Mary, which is uh, close by where I live, and a mutual friend introduced us. This guy is a consultant. um, And when I first met him, the fellow that introduced us wasn't sure what we might have in common. He just thought we should know each other. And, you know, we just clicked immediately. And uh, he was really, um, I don't want to say the word taken with me, but, I mean, we just really clicked in that conversation. And one reason in that initial meeting is because I listened very intently and asked him some questions 
and kind of challenged him. So when, you know, I talk about, you know, having a conversation that somebody doesn't forget, it's not because you're being necessarily so memorable, but a lot of times you're simply asking questions that no one else has ever asked them to think about ways that they might do things or approaches they might take that they haven't thought of before. So um, so we clicked at that meeting. We had some subsequent meetings where I was able to introduce um, our online coaching program that's used by consultants like him and also by um, organizations. And he got to the point where he was swept up, as you say, and just couldn't wait to introduce it to this one client that he had been working with for quite a while. And it was a hospital that is not providing much in the way of leadership development for their managers, both the new and aspiring managers. And he knew they needed to do more to help these people really learn how to, you know, motivate, inspire, draw the best out of the people on their teams. So he created a course called Managing Your Development in which he used our program as a key um, component of that course. And he did the first two, and they went so well, the participants all said, every leader in this hospital needs to go through this. So now he's into doing the next two classes. Each one has about 15 people. And the, the momentum that he's building up in that organization is just powerful. And the, the true test for me is, you know, is it making any difference with people back on the job? And the manager of one of the participants went to this guy and said, look, I don't know what you've done, but she is totally, I don't even recognize her anymore. You know, she's somebody I was about to put on probation, and now she is so motivated, so excited. She's, you know, just got this fantastic attitude and is communicating so much better. It's a joy having her on the team. That is what gets me up in the morning. Going back to your very first question is recognizing that what we are doing when people use it well, it makes a huge difference in their lives, how they feel about themselves and how they interact with the people around them. So it's a ripple effect. Um, so does that answer your question? Absolutely. That answers a lot of questions, I would, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, that, that fish in the water kind of thing, you know. It just seems... Maybe somebody might look at you and go, well, it just comes naturally to her. And, again, I would point everybody to the fact that it probably would come more naturally to more people if we didn't have certain things, you know, that we do to hold ourselves back, not outside factor, but just, you know, overanalyzing and all of that kind of stuff and second-guessing and things. And it's it's also kind of being a student of what it is that you do, right? Like, you know, you immediately, this is another sign of a, a strong leveragist, immediately downplayed your your position that I kind of built up <laughs> uh, earlier on an earlier question by saying that you're still a work in progress. But the thing is, I think that attitude is a lot more than just being humble. I think it is. It, it feels like somebody who constantly keeps themselves in check and realizes that being a work in progress means you're not – this uber expert in the thing that you do so much that you don't ever need to learn anything else. You're done learning. You're the expert. I don't have to do that. I don't have to take this class. I don't have to go get involved with this or that because now I'm the expert. I should be only teaching those things and on the stage, never in the crowd in front of the stage. And, and that really holds you back because then you don't learn. I went through that. It's kind of a, a transparent moment time. I went through that whole thing. I got a huge ego I had a, I had, you know, I had an overdeveloped sense of my worth in the world <laughs> uh, back in the late 2000s, and um, I stopped learning. Now, everything I had done to that point was a ravenous willingness to learn and be involved and mix it up with lots of different people in my area of interest and in my area of expertise, and I never saw myself at those times as a part from that and it was a constant quest to learn and grow and when I then got that really big head I stopped my source of success I turned it off like a faucet with not even a leak in it it was completely turned off my source for my success had been shut off by my ego saying you're the expert now 
you don't need to learn anymore. And then lots of new things happened. It was the freaking Internet. Everybody should have this attitude right off the bat because whatever you think you know about the Internet today uh, is going to be completely different or in some way somewhat different tomorrow. That's just the nature of the beast. And so it took me a couple of years to find out what I did to myself and what I did to my business um, that had hurt me so bad I couldn't figure it out. And I was looking everywhere but here, in you know, in the mirror. And that was once I found that out, I realized, oh, it's, you got to mix it up with people. You've got to get out there. And there's tons of stuff to learn. And you could never know everything about your, uh, you know, area of expertise without having to keep up on it. Doctors have to do it. They have to get recertified. Lawyers have to do it. You know, by law. And it's just a sad state of affairs that we don't also, by law, have to do the same thing because we forget that that's what we need to do all the time. And we're always students. So I'm loving that you brought that up because that's a really, that's kind of a big point. I hope I, nobody has to go through what I did to learn that lesson. Well, you know, I keep, you know, falling down and, and, and you know, scratching my knees and elbows and everything. So <laughs> there's really no room for um, growing that big ego. But I do think that a part of it is just, you know, the attitude. And in terms of relationships, you know, you said earlier, it really is simple. And honestly, it is. It's not like a magic formula, but there's two key things that, um, you know, any of your listeners could start doing more and better today. And that is um, thinking of questions that you could ask. Um, and, And I'm not talking about, you know, any uh, programmed questions, but you could certainly just have a few openers and then listening closely when someone is talking so you hear not just the words they're saying, but what's behind them. You know, what what are you picking up in terms of, you know, the emotion or the tone that they have? Because um, it's amazing. Um, I, I'll never forget years ago I was in this coaching group that met by phone and the the fellow leading the group had asked this one guy a question, and the guy responded, and I could hear the despondency in his voice. And the coach was getting ready to jump on to some, you know, specific thing that the guy had stated. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we go on, I need to just say that I hear this, and I don't even know if I use the word despondent, but I hear this tone going on in his voice, and I'd like to just ask a question, you know, about what's going on there. And it opened up a whole different area than would have been opened if they'd marched on with the factual thing that the coach was actually tuned into. And I think that's the key, is getting, you know, your right brain and your left brain engaged when you are having a conversation with someone so that you allow your intuition to kind of kick in when you sense that there's something that's either being unsaid or the person's uncomfortable and just addressing it. You know, not enough people are willing to just tell the truth and say what they hear, you know, or or what they're sensing. And I think another person anymore would appreciate, in most cases anyway, will appreciate you bringing that up. And, of course, they can back off if they're not. But often it opens up the conversation to... Um, you know, a path that might have gone unnoticed if you didn't have your radar up. Yeah. Yeah, and I bet you, well, so how did that turn out? Did you change the course, uh, the direction that that was going in? Well, it allowed, yeah. In that particular situation, there were a lot of things. The guy opened up and shared, you know, some of the concerns and fears that were behind that. And um, unfortunately, he didn't really act on some of the things that different folks in the group, you know, shared with him that might work just because of where he was at the time. And I think that's a key piece, too, is when you do share information, you have to manage your expectations because even because I'm such an avid learner, you know, if somebody says, oh, you got to read this book, I'm on it. <laughs> but not everybody yeah. is like that. And so to manage your expectations and realize you're simply sharing with this person, but you're not responsible for what they do with it. And so, you know, it it helps you avoid disappointment, anger, frustration, whatever you might 
have in place, if you just say, you know, this is my gift to you, it's up to you if you open it or not and, you know, where you go with it from there. But I sense this is something that would be helpful for you, and so I'd like to share it with you. It's a kind of telling to me how many people come on the show and people that I've talked to, uh, you know, over many, many years who bring up how much they read. And any of our listeners, if you guys have picked up on that, good for you because that's actually, you know, combine your data with my data and we are on to something that, you know, we only bring, you know, pretty successful people on the show in the first place. And so there's a good mix there. And then the number of times that people say, I just can't get enough, I devour information, I read a lot. There's something being said there, and I hope everybody's really picking up on that. Um, and it is true, anybody who's, who's been fighting that, I do, I go up and down. Sometimes I just read, and I consume, and I watch videos, and I really get into it. And other times I go through real dry spells, and it's not just a dry spell in how much information I'm consuming. Um, but it's a dry spell for the business because my ideas start to dry up as well. My ideas, my passion, my all of these things that it takes to do what we've been talking about today uh, start to dry up. The, 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 you know, and I, you can't turn it off. I'm sure everybody's experienced that. You read one, just one good chapter in one good book or a good chapter in a mediocre book or one sentence in an otherwise crappy book. <laughs> that can change the the mindset that you have going forward or give you this brilliant idea. And I just think that's a really big point to make because you are another in the long line of people who have mentioned on this show, I read a lot. I consume lots of information. I think that's really important. Well, I, one thing I've learned because, you know, it can be a competition when you start reading about others who say, oh, I read X number of books a year. It's like, oh, golly, I don't read anywhere near that many. And I used to think, I need to read even more. But the truth is yeah. you, can be, you can become a readaholic who does nothing with what you read. So I've gotten to where I'll read one book two, two, sometimes three times if it's really good and just mark it up and look at, okay, what are the actions I'm actually going to take as a result of reading this book? Because it's one thing to acquire information, but it's another, especially when you're in business, to figure out, okay, now which of these really good ideas am I actually going to do something with? Because you can fall into overwhelm with too much information, and you can fall into guilt for not using some of it. So, you know, there's all these emotions that can kick in <laughs> and thoughts that can kick in to undermine what you do. But I think any time you read a book with an open mind of what can I you know, take away from this and actually use, that's when you reinforce feeling really good about yourself because when you do it, no matter what the outcome is, at least you took the action and then you learn from it. I think those are key to, you know, longevity in business. Well, we're nearing the top of the hour, and I want to give you the chance to let everybody know where they can fall into your sphere of influence and uh, wonderfulness and kind of mix it up. I think some of our listeners would have picked up very quickly on the fact that you we run in similar circles. You've got your GKIC and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, let her rip and let everybody know where the best place is to follow you and, and learn more about what it is that you do that might be able to be uh, a help to any or all of our listeners. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. I just you know, find that such a valuable tool. So I'm Meredith M is in Mary Bell, Meredith M. Bell on LinkedIn, and also on Twitter. I've been on Twitter for many years, and I'm also on Facebook with the same um, middle initial. So those are three places that you'll find me. Um, and on LinkedIn, in my profile, I have three videos in my summary section that will really give people a pretty good idea about our products and what they can do for them. And I have a three-minute headshot video that I did just introducing myself that, um, you know, will give people an idea of, of who I am and how we see ourselves being different um, as a company in terms of what we offer. So my LinkedIn profile is probably the best way to start, and that has links to some of our other websites. Um, but our main product website is strongforperformance.com. 
And I know you have that linked in the show notes, so that's another place people can go to find any and all of those profiles as well. Yeah, we got about 10 seconds before I kick it back to Gina, but are you at all nervous about the Microsoft acquisition of LinkedIn? <laughs> no. You know, it's one of those things I just roll with it and accept it because I have no control over it. I don't spend time on things <laughs> I can't control. <laughs> awesome answer. Awesome answer. Well, Gina, I'm done with her. I've gotten everything I can out of her. She's been fully interrogated. Back to you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Meredith. Once or twice I heard you say Gina, and I'm, I was on another line and come back. I'm like, wait a minute, Gina. Thank you so much, Meredith. This has been an awesome <laughs> show. Hey, it just kept pulling me back to listen. We will be back next Most week, great. same time, same place, with another episode of Leverage Masters. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks again, Meredith. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Run to Old Navy this Saturday for $1 Foot Floss. It's the once-a-year event you and your feet have been waiting for. Get Old Navy's famous Foot Flops for just $1 this Saturday only. Dial at 625. Check stores for restrictions and opening details.